Super Sleuths, welcome to the latest episode of Where the Monsters Are. I'm Lou. And I'm Sarah. You can follow us on all podcast platforms and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok at Where the Monsters Are. If you can, please leave us a review to let us know what you think of the podcast. If you do follow us on our socials, you can use these to let us know which topics you'd like us to cover in the future. So, there's going to be something a bit different this week. This week, I'm looking at the reasons why people commit arson. The first one we're going to look at is the pyromaniac. The term pyromaniac describes someone with an impulse control disorder who enjoys watching fires burn. The term pyromania itself comes from the Greek word pyre, which means fire. It's different to arson as the reasons for that could be for personal, monetary or political gain. The effect starting a fire has on pyromaniacs is one of euphoria and there have been cases where they fixated on things like firehouses and firemen because they tried to control the fire. As I said, pyromania is a type of impulse control disorder along with kleptomania, intermittent explosive disorder and others. Root causes have been observed in people with pyromania. Some of these are parental neglect, early physical or emotional abuse and early misuse of fire. Many studies have shown that, interestingly, young patients with pyromania were in households with no father figure present. Symptoms of pyromania are someone who purposely sets fires on more than one occasion and before setting the fire experiences an emotional build-up. From what I could find about the condition, it seems that setting the fire seems to be an emotional thing and speaks to some need within the person to experience the gratification they achieve by setting the fire. It is sometimes difficult, however, to tell the difference between pyromania and experimentation with fire in childhood because pleasure is attained by both. A famous pyromaniac was Thomas Sweat, who became known as one of the most prolific arsonists in US history. Having set over 350 fires in and around Washington, D.C., most of them being in 2003 and 2004, when he was arrested, He admitted to setting fires for over 30 years and is currently serving his sentence in Terre Haute, Indiana. When Sweat saw a man that he was attracted to, he would follow him home and set fire to the man's house or car. He set hundreds of fires over the years and would would even throw incendiary devices into police cars and watch them as they burned. What? So what was he? What was he hoping to achieve? If they were people he liked, why? Because they're not going to like say, "Oh, thanks for burning my house down. Let's go on a date," are they? No, he never ever approached them. So I think it was a thing he didn't like. He he was attracted to them, but he never actually acted on it. Okay. So it was. I mean, there was one case where he followed this guy home that he just saw, and I mean, this guy was married with a wife and kids, and he poured gasoline around the port under the door and burnt them i mean the and the only people that got out was i think one of the stepchildren but him and the wife died in the fire oh, no. yeah so he, he didn't really care if he killed them or not yeah i mean you'd think i'm following him home i'm gonna go and talk to him but no, no. so you you think it, he 
he was gay, but he didn't want to admit yeah, right. it. Yeah, I think or... so. I mean, it wasn't actually said in the, the articles I read, but I'm guessing from what he did and the fact that he never approached them, oh. that to me suggests that he didn't like that he was attracted to these people. And okay. yeah, I think that's what it was. His usual method of setting fires was to use an empty plastic milk jug with petrol and use it as a Molotov cocktail. In two cases, elderly women were unable to escape the fires and later died. So it wasn't always about who he was attracted to. He just, oh, okay. he just liked to set fires. Mm-hmm. He was linked to the scene of two of his crimes by DNA evidence. He was captured on a security camera and in his guilty plea to the court, he admitted to almost 400 fires, several of them fatal. He was given a mandatory life sentence on the 12th of September 2005. So, pyromania is an emotional reason for someone to set fires, but what could be other reasons? I mentioned a few earlier, personal, monetary and political. A famous case in the UK was that of Mick and Mairead Philpott. I thought of them when you first said about fires, Mm. yeah. Yeah, I thought I'm definitely going to include these in here. On the 11th of May 2012, a fire seriously damaged their family home in Osmaston, Derby. Five of the family's children, Jade age 10, John 9, Jack 7, Jesse 6 and Jade and 5 had been asleep upstairs and they all died at the scene due to smoke inhalation. Their half-brother Dwayne, age 13, would die in hospital two days later. Five days after the fire, the parents, Mick and Mairead, gave an emotional news conference where they described what had happened. The day before the press conference, police investigating found that the fire had been started by pouring petrol through the letterbox, which obviously changed the investigation to one of murder. It emerged that Mick had been having an affair with a 22-year-old woman named Lisa Willis, and they had three children. Philpott had lost custody of their children to Willis prior to the fire. When police started investigating the fire as murder, Willis was initially arrested for it along with her brother-in-law, Ian Cousins, However, they were later both released without charge. It was around this time that witnesses reported that Phil Potts was not behaving like someone who had lost six children. He seemed to be craving the media attention, so the police bugged the Phil Potts hotel room and learnt that Mick and Mairead were responsible for the fire along with a friend, Paul Mosley, with whom police heard Mairead engaging in a sex act in the hotel room. Hmm. I mean, I I remember at the time, they'd gone out, carry on to karaoke and stuff on like a night or so after the yeah. children had died or yeah. some of them were still in hospital fighting for their life that one yeah boy, and they right. were out at a karaoke night yeah no i mean they definitely weren't behaving like grieving parents no the couple and mosley were charged with murder but these were later reduced to manslaughter as it emerged that they hadn't intended to kill the children Philpott had set the fire in an effort to actually frame Lisa Willis for it and win back custody of the children so they could claim benefits for them. Yeah, and also he was trying to get a bigger house, wasn't he? And the council wouldn't give him one. Yeah, he was. On the 4th of April, Mick Philpott was sentenced to life imprisonment while Mairead and Mosley were each sentenced to 17 years, of which they would have to serve at least half before being considered for release. Well, she's out now, isn't she? I was going to say, Mairead was released on licence in 2020 after mm. serving half of her sentence. Yeah. Mm. Terrible. It is, yeah. Peter Dinsdale was 12 years old when he went to the house of a classmate, six-year-old Richard Ellerington in Hull, England. It was early in the morning before 7am when he poured paraffin in an open window and tossed a match into the house. The fire spread quickly 
and the Ellerington family, awoken by the fire, managed to get five of their six children from the house. Richard, who was physically disabled, could not get out and died in the fire. Oh, that's terrible. Mm. Over the course of six years, from 1973 to 1979, Dinsdale set many fatal fires. He didn't have a good childhood. His mother was a prostitute who neglected him. He had a limp and a deformed appearance which caused children to make fun of him and adults would call him Daft Peter. He wandered the poorer neighbourhoods of Hull at night, burning down houses. At the age of nine, he burned down a lumberyard and a shopping district. He claimed that he had set a fire in a nursing home, killing 11 men, but it turned out to be false when the fire was found to have been accidental. A man clipped his ear, so he set him on fire and watched him as he burnt to death. Yeah. He squirted paraffin in the letter of a home, killing a mother and her three sons. Mm. Did he, and did he know these people? Was it like a revenge type thing? Or? Some of them he did. So some of them, there was a reason why he did it, but others, he was just, he just wanted to set fires. Yeah. Dinsdale was finally caught in December 1979. He started a fire at the Hasties' home. Only one son survived the fire. Mrs. Hastie and her three other sons were killed. The Hasty family were known in the area as petty criminals and had bullied, stolen from and threatened many of their neighbours over time, so there were many suspects to choose from. It turned out that one of the sons, Charlie, had been tormenting Dinsdale, so that's why he did it to them. Dinsdale had left spent matches and a can of paraffin outside on the porch, so an arson investigation was started. Eventually, he admitted to setting the fire, but said he hadn't intended to kill the family, only to scare Charlie who had been tormenting him. However, he then admitted to setting 10 other fires which had fatalities and told investigators the location of each. He eventually pled guilty to 26 counts of manslaughter and is in a mental institution to this day. Gosh. Mm. Now, we're going to look at arson cases that were started for political reasons. You may have heard of the organisation The Earth Liberation Front or the ELF. This is the name for the individuals or covert cells that, according to the ELF press office, use economic sabotage and guerrilla warfare to stop the exploitation and destruction of the environment. The ELF began its life in Brighton in the UK in 1992 and within two years had spread to the rest of Europe. It is now an international organisation with actions reported in 17 countries around the world. It is believed to have descended from the Animal Liberation Front, because of the relationship and cooperation between the the two movements. Both organisations work on the basis of a leaderless model and they use similar guidelines as the ALF. For those who are a part of the organisation, they describe it as an eco-defence group who are dedicated to taking the profit motive out of the environmental destruction by causing economic damage to businesses through the use of property damage. In 2001, the FBI classified the organisation as the top domestic terror threat in the US and its members were seen as eco-terrorists. Despite there being no deaths from the ELF's attacks, the FBI's Deputy Assistant Director for Counterterrorism has said, I think we're lucky. Once you set one of these fires, they can go way out of control. The organisation uses arson as a way to destroy property that activists believe is being used to injure animals, people or the environment. Some of the most common targets are against the development of multi-million dollar houses because as the group's above-ground spokesperson Craig Roseborough said in November 2000, 
urban sprawl has undoubtedly served to alter nearly 90% of Long Island's habitats, either by physically removing them, paving them or polluting them with toxic man-made materials, making them undesirable or unsustainable for most species. They're obviously talking about species other than humans here. Yeah. So what exactly are these attacks that the ELF have carried out? A group calling itself, now excuse the pronunciation here, Eco-Anarchista por el Attack Directo, which translates to Eco-Analysts Our Supporting Direct Attack, took responsibility for several actions, including throwing half a dozen Molotov cocktails at the Metro Rail in Mexico City, incendiary sabotage against Telmex, and Molotov cocktails thrown at a Banamex ATM. They claim that the attacks were a protest against the construction of a new rail line in Mexico City and Mexico State that had caused deforestation and the eviction of many families. Soon after this, the ELF claimed responsibility for an arson attack at the Universidad Nacional Autónoma de Mexico and the burning of construction equipment in Guadalajara. In 2012, there were several car arson cases stating that we propose to destroy property from the bourgeoisie class from Palermo to Villa Devoto who are sure that everything will stay the same. The ELF burned down the Oak Ridge, Oregon Ranger Station in 1996. It was this and some other similar attacks that gained them the label of eco-terrorists and one of the top domestic threats in the US as I mentioned earlier. A communique they sent to the press said that they had carried out a burning of a ski resort in Vail, Colorado against Vail Inc. because even though it was the largest ski company in North America, they wanted to expand further, destroying the last lynx habitat in the state. They added that putting profits against Colorado's wildlife would not be tolerated. Their actions until the end of the 1990s would include burning an SUV dealership, logging headquarters causing a million dollars in damages, and setting fire to Michigan State University on New Year's Eve in 1999 because of a program the university was running to provide genetically modified plants to African farmers. There have been dozens of actions carried out by the organisation since it started, some arson and others not, but arson is generally the accepted method of ecotage by the organisation. The ELF group was highlighted in the 2011 Academy Award-nominated documentary if a Tree Falls, a story of the Earth Liberation Front. So, now on to the last examples of arson that I'm going to tell you about today. Arguably, one of the most selfless things one can do is to put your own life at risk to save someone else. And to choose a job which means every day you go out and rescue people from a burning building says a lot about the person. And that person is a firefighter. This last section is going to be about arson cases that were started by the very people who were supposed to fight the fires. Now you might wonder why a firefighter who was supposed to fight a fire would instead start one. Is it an accident or...? No. (laughs) It's an or. (laughs) Some of the offenders seem to be motivated by boredom or by the possibility of receiving attention for responding to the fires that they themselves have set. It has been reported that roughly 100 US firefighters are convicted of serial arson every year. Serial arson is expressed as setting three or more fires. An interesting fact about these attacks is that these aren't officially tracked in the US. Agencies report on arson-related fires, but there isn't a specific system for tracking cases of firefighter-caused arsons in the first place. So if you look at the figures... 
Hmm. It doesn't actually specify if they were caused by just a normal person or a firefighter. So it's oh. hard to report on. Oh, okay. So let's go into why these arson attacks are carried out. And I'll tell you about some specific cases. Reasons for the attack range from excitement to concealing a crime. The firefighter would set the fire and when it was reported, they would go to the scene and put the fire out. As an example, which is a case that actually happened, a firefighter in North Carolina would set fire to an occupied house, then return to the scene and rescue the family inside. This is classified as something called hero syndrome. It's interesting to look at what the FBI's Behavioural Analysis Unit's profile of a firefighter arsonist says. It says it's usually going to be a white male, aged 17 to 25, with one or both parents missing from the home during childhood, which is interesting because that's similar to what they were saying earlier about neglect. He would have a cold, distant, hostile or aggressive relationship with his natural father. They would be interested in the fire service only for the excitement they could gain and nothing to do with public service. They had a mixed view on intelligence but said that most arsonists were found to have average or higher intelligence but demonstrated poor academic performance. One of the most infamous firefighter arson cases was John Orr, an arson investigator who was nicknamed the Pillow Pyro because he started fires with pillows. He was caught after writing a best-selling novel about a firefighter turned serial arsonist. Life imitating art there. Indeed. One of his most notorious fires was in South Pasadena, California, in a hardware store that was located in a shopping plaza. The shop was completely destroyed, killing four people who were inside. These were a two-year-old child, his grandmother, a 26-year-old mother of two and a 17-year-old employee. Initially, when arson investigators looked into the case, they said it was an electrical fire, but Orr, who was investigating the case, insisted that it was arson. It was used later when he was arrested for other arson cases that the evidence was re-examined for the Pasadena fire and they discovered there was circumstantial evidence and the highly detailed description of a fire in his novel that he was charged for the Pasadena fire as well. He was convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment in 1998. Firefighter arson isn't just a thing in America. A firefighter from Hampshire was sent to jail for 15 months for setting fires so that he would be called out to battle them. Scott Richter admitted to starting four fires and trying to set light to a boat in the Totten area to earn the respect of his colleagues after they said his ex-girlfriend was better off without him. Gosh. Yeah. Extreme. I think she probably was better off without Mm -hmm. him. Yeah. Another firefighter from Wales started fires in two skips trying to increase call-out figures for his fire station in Paris, mid-Wales because they were saying they were going to close it. Oh, okay. Unfortunately for him, he was captured setting the fires on CCTV and was later arrested by police. He was ordered to complete a 12-month community order with a requirement to complete a positive thinking course and 90 hours of unpaid work. He was also ordered to pay £330 compensation to Paris County Council for the skips he'd damaged, £225 costs and a £60 victim surcharge. And he still lost his job or oh, yeah, still he, closed down? No. Well, he would have lost his job, but I mean, no. did they still close down the fire? No, they didn't. Oh, they didn't? Very ironically, but no, they oh, didn't. okay. Yeah. Volunteer firefighter David Pearson and his colleague Kingsley Tolly started fires targeting cars and caravans so that Pearson would be paid for the call-outs. Pearson was jailed for just over five years and Tolly was found dead after being arrested. Yeah, hmm? He committed suicide oh. after, after being arrested. 
What would happen was that Tolly would start the fires and call them in anonymously so that Pearson would attend the fires and be paid £15 an hour for each one. Shropshire Fire and Rescue Service contacted police to report an unusually high number of deliberately caused fires. When they investigated, they found that over a six-week period there had been over 10 fires and over the third quarter of the year, Pearson had had attended 27 of 27 call-outs. Not too obvious then. No, not at all. They were caught when police used an AMPR, Automatic Number Plate Recognition System, to place Pearson at the scene of a van fire. During the court case, it emerged that they had even targeted a policeman neighbour of Pearson's who he was having a dispute with over his dog's barking. He set the police officer's car on fire at night while he and his wife and newborn twins slept inside the house by setting fire to the car's petrol tank. Oh, no. I think it's likely because of this attack that Pearson's sentence was as high as it was because, as the magistrate said, the babies being newborns were particularly vulnerable inside Mm -hmm. the house. So, that's it for this week. It's been a little bit different, but hopefully you've enjoyed listening. I wanted to do something that looks at why people do some of the crimes they carry out. And if you like them, let us know on our social media and I'll do some more. Sarah, any thoughts on this one? I know I hadn't told you what this one was about. No, um, I mean, no, it is a bit different. The only thing I was going to say is, are there no, it seems like it's all men that commit these crimes or are there no women or... I didn't find Did any. Not, I didn't no. find any women. And when you were explaining the statistics, it was mm. here you were saying a it, lot. So. It is always, from what I could find, all the news articles that I could find about firefighters that had been done, or just other people doing them, like pyromaniacs. It always seems to be men, and mm. and that's kind of backed up by the FBI. Yeah. Um, there was another organisation that did something. I think it was the Forest Station, um, the government's forest rangers. Um, organization they did a similar thing and when you compare the two you compare their profile to the fbi's they're very similar Mm, interesting why that is i don't know i don't know i I find that quite fascinating though where they can pick how you know what what people are more likely to do Mm. to do these crimes yeah you know the behavioral sciences unit well it's a lot with serial killers when they do profiles on them isn't it Mm. Well, I get yeah. some of these you could class as serial killers. But, the amount of people yeah. they've killed, yeah, yeah, that little kid. Yeah, that was such a, that was such a shame. I mean, that was that was a bit of an odd case as well. It was I couldn't find much information about that case, but because I was like, oh, I've just never heard of that one at no. all. But yeah, it was yes, yeah, it's, it's not one I'd ever heard of before. No, I mean, like I say, when you said first started, the first one I thought of was that Mick and. Parade, Phil Pot. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I, we rem- we remember that when it happened. Yeah. We? So, yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, that was interesting. Okay. Yeah. So if if people enjoy it, then I'll I'll do some more like mm. that. Something a little bit different. Yeah. So thanks everyone for listening, and you can let us know what you thought about this and our other episodes on our social media. You can leave us some comments to tell us if there are any subjects you'd like us to cover, and don't forget you can follow us on your favourite podcast platform. So stay safe, super sleuths, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.